Hello and welcome to the Diabetes Dugout with Brighty and Peachy, brought to you by the Diabetes Football Community. This is your regular dose of all things football and diabetes as we bring you the stories of those affected by the condition who have a love of the sport. Everything we share and talk about on this podcast is from personal experience and if you have any concerns about the management of your condition, you should always check in with a healthcare professional. Now, with all that said, let's crack on with the episode. Just before we get into the episode, this is just a warning to advise that there is some bad language and adult themes involved in this episode. So if you are watching with children, please do think about listening to the episode before allowing them to listen to it as well. But with that all being said, let's crack on with the pod. So hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Diabetes Dugout and you are joining me today, Chris Bright, as one of your usual hosts as I delve into the life of somebody within the diabetes community. And today it's a returning guest for part two of a chat with BBC radio and TV presenter Reese Parkinson. So Reese, thank you again for joining us and how are you today? Yeah, mate, thank you for having me. I apologies for rambling on last time. We can you imagine we didn't even talk about football or <laughs> we didn't talk. I just was so intrigued by this whole space. And like you said, and you said it during the last episode, when you meet someone with type one diabetes, you instantly click. You have yeah. that bond. And when we clicked, I was like, I could have chatted for hours. Yeah, I can imagine this conversation is going to go round and round and we're going to we're going to chew the fat over diabetes. As like you said, it's just um, it's because people just click because there is that shared experience. And once you get shared experience with the fact that we we're obviously we've got a, a love of football as well, there's there's this just something else that you can just you go to a different place in terms of conversation. I think diabetes takes you there. Um, but yeah, no, I really appreciate you coming back on to have another chat with us. So, uh, obviously it's your day off today. So how does a, how does a a TV and radio presenter have a day off? What do you do? What do you get up to? Well, um, pretty much things like this really. Um, so we're on Friday today. Um, but yeah, I knew I kind of wanted to definitely do part two of this and fit this in. So I had to do that. Um, I got a meeting it's basically like a lot of Zooms, really, like a lot of mm-hmm. Zooms that you can't really do, say that you don't manage to do midweek um, that I kind of rearranged for today sort of thing. So nothing quite, pretty much like anyone else has got a day off, really. But the only thing is, I guess, for me and you, we work in a space where I guess someone who isn't in a media kind of job, you, you wouldn't do a Zoom on your date, like you're not working. Yeah. You know? So it's so for me at the moment, it's just kind of making other opportunities and speaking to other people. Uh, and that's usually on a Zoom, you yeah, know, at the moment. So, yeah, and just kind of grafting away behind the scenes, going on my run, and you know, yeah. kind of how, and then, how far are you going today? It's always five miles, yeah, on my run. But like we were just chatting off air, uh, after my run recently, I've kind of kind of spiked higher, um. So I'm going to do what you said earlier and run like 4.5 and then walk the rest to try and chill that out. Um, Mm. So, yeah, I've just like after our last chat, I've just become so much more conscious and 
done I thought I was like, oh, I'm okay. I'm in like 75 to then like 80% if I'm, you know, really, really good. But I'm just kind of like, well, I don't want to really settle. I want to try and get, you know, manage this even more. And I was getting to a point where the line was really flat rather than like the roller coaster, but still in the green. So mm. I'm like, I've gone at the moment, I'm kind of like good levels, but roller coaster in the green. Now I want to be like, let me see if I can start getting this flat line, which was there when I started. And maybe I was in the honeymoon period when I, when I started and maybe it's a little bit more roller coaster because that's ended. Yeah. Uh, have you noticed a little bit of a change then in terms of your levels? Is it something shifted in the, in recent weeks or months? Cause yeah, honeymoon period tends to be, and it depends person by person. You know, I'm not a scientist by trade or anything like that, but from what I've heard, it can be, you know, a year it can be up to three years four years depending on how physically active you are but have you noticed then maybe that there's a little bit of a shift in your levels yeah, yeah i used to run and it would never go up after yeah um i had a meeting the other day and it was i was quite anxious before the meeting and it shut up during the meeting as well and that was after a run mm. um, so it might have just been the run or it might have been the mix of run uh, after post run spike and anxiousness might have just sent it sky high. I got to like 19 and I was like, what? I haven't yeah. hit 19 and I haven't even eaten anything that's yeah. gone there, you know? It might, so, yeah, it might be that your, yeah, it could be that your honeymoon is sort of starting to wear off because obviously your body would have responded to stress previously. You know, when your level spikes with adrenaline, your uh, pancreas might have shot out a little bit of insulin to try and counteract it. Obviously, if, when the honeymoon stops and the pancreas stops doing that, there is no, you know, backup from the pancreas to go, here you go, Reese, here's some extra insulin just to sort of help sort that out. So it could be that that's sort of happening. We all, we always talk about actually, sometimes it makes it a little easier when you come out of the honeymoon period because, oh. because then um, you're, you stop not knowing when your body's going to help you out if that makes sense. So your body could help you out and you've injected at the same time and then cause yourself a bit of a lower glucose level because you're both doing the same job. Whereas when the pancreas stops, you're actually just doing the job then. And then everything you see, you learn, you analyze is actually factually true and you can make um, correct or more, more informed decisions, shall we say, about the, yeah. what happens. So we've had a, a few come through the diabetes football community, which actually said, it was a little bit easier afterwards because they were causing themselves less hypos because they were actually just the only thing putting in insulin. It was them, oh, you know, okay. consciously, whereas obviously the pancreas can or was responding whilst they were on their honeymoon period. Right. So it I, could be. I also tried this morning just adding a few more on my long lasting yeah. um, insulin just to give it a little bit of an experiment today. Maybe yeah. I needed a bit more of that to kind of, steady things out so i usually put in like 10 but today i did 13 so probably not like a massive difference i'm sure but just to just to try like and see if that's kind of like a difference you know yeah and i think that's sometimes what you start to notice obviously an in increase in the insulin that you need and um little tweaks like that but you're you'll probably constantly be making little tweaks as you go along i, yeah. I spent many years tweaking insulin up and down and doing it for physical activity as well. So uh, making adjustments pre and post games and, and during games as well. So, yeah, I think it'll be one of those things where you're just, um, the, the famous words we always use is trial and error. Our life is just one big trial and error as you, you sort of learn more about the condition and you uh, 
you sort of analyze what's happening and, and do your best to then if you did make a mistake or something went wrong then try and put it right next time around so mm. it's constantly evolving all of the time yeah no fascinating it's uh it's such a it's just uh, medically it's just a fascinating thing to yeah. kind of research and study and learn more about it's it, it, yeah it's so interesting and after our first chat it just led me down kind of like a rabbit hole <laughs> you know finding more information and yeah. wanting to be on top of it even more and you can understand why someone could have it and just not want to do anything because you really could like if you're working from home say you could really just smash it like in, in a sense of you really could stay in like 100 percent forever have a very sad life but have your breakfast and then no carbs. No, not no carbs, but have your breakfast, really small carbs. Always know your levels. Dinner, really small carbs. Have the same snacks, not see a soul and have 100% and be yeah. fine. So it's really, you know, because I can understand how some I of actually, my I actually found that in lockdown, you know, when we were really chained in, I actually found my diabetes was way easier to manage because the consistency of what I'm doing was like... Mm almost like it was the same day in day out I was right. doing very very similar things and uh yeah managing diabetes became very easy as soon as you throw a few variables in there though Reese, it inevitably it goes oh yeah now you remember me. a lot when you start living life a little bit you start going oh yeah well forget about you diabetes for a minute because I got something more important to do that's when it goes ah Chris but you can't really forget about <laughs> it mate <laughs> it's um and the and the <laughs> the uh the crazy thing about it, I think, is me and you, we live with the same condition. However, the way that you might respond to a situation, the way that I respond to a situation may be very, very different. So our bodies, our glucose level response might be very, very different. Mm. And, and that will be for everyone. You know, we might do the same run, or for example, at almost the same speed, same intensity, but our bodies might you know, they might go in different directions in terms of the glucose level response. Wow. And that's the thing that we've always found really fascinating when you talk to people is that you've got some people that will, their levels shoot when they do a particular activity, others where it drops. So it is literally when we talk about principles and we talk about how to tackle it, it is just trying to understand your body, understand maybe some of the guiding principles which help you uh, react um positively to the condition sort of like picking the kind of uh, choice that you should make and then aside from that you've just got to learn from doing and it is really like try it's trial and error we've, we've talked about it for yeah. many years it's always been the the term and the phrase quoted by so many in the community well i had like it, kind of two things one thing was uh my, do you get like cold feet at night yeah 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 right I've yep. only started getting that like last week. Interesting. And I've done my Googles and obviously I was scared to, again, I... scared to death at the start. And... Reese, don't do Dr. Google. Uh, it's just, it, it is, you'll get, I like, I've I, I, no, no sort of shame in saying it, but I've obviously got, I'm wearing glasses. Uh, yeah. The reason I wear glasses is I do have a slight eye complication. So if I was to keep Googling about what could happen to, for example, my eyes as a result of living with diabetes, it would, it would scare me every day. And you, you kind of forget then you, you live in fear and it is this condition isn't going to go away at this time. So it's kind of like, just do the best you can. And I think that's the approach with many things in life. But if you keep Googling, it will, 
it will get in your it will Man. it will it will stay in there and it will get in your head it will yeah i i learned that the hard way i you know i was I've, things have happened in the past with uh, bits and pieces but google always, it always seems to scare me more so i try to just try and do the best that you can every day because you can't control what the condition's going to do i think it's uh, my, my only advice would be just yeah just you're doing the best anyway you're smashing your, your levels in it, for somebody that's newly diagnosed to be in, as in control of it as you are and and as, as open to learning as you are I, I just think you you don't need you don't need you don't need that you don't need the kind of that negativity you just got to do the best you can right no fair fair cheers for that it was just one of those yeah it's one of those scary you kind of start yeah. feeling it and then obviously you do it late at night like an idiot and yeah just, like, why am I searching this at night and then you finally went on to like a good group on reddit I think who were just like this is fine relax like happens to a lot of us yeah you know, and people in a similar situation but it's kind of annoying the other day i rang the um i was meant to have an appointment with uh the hospital mm. um, i don't know if you found this and look I, this is maybe i have to be careful about how i word this or <laughs> put it in podcast. they when i got diagnosed were awesome like so yeah. so so amazingly good um as i'm sure you're aware but i had a meeting and i i couldn't make the meeting so i had to cancel it mm. and we called back about rearranging it. And the next one they've got is like in June and we're in January 20th at the moment. And I was kind of on the phone. I was like, well, I just want to know if I'm doing all right. Like, am I doing all good and all that stuff? And she's kind of like, uh, well, I can't kind of check. And I'm like, oh, but well, my, my level's like this. Is that all good? Yeah, you, you're all right. And I was kind of like, what? Yeah. Really? Like, yeah. This is... I'm not gonna. Um... I was a little first time. I was a little bit disappointed with them, mm-hmm. and I haven't been disappointed since I've got it. I yeah. was just a little bit like, really, no one can kind of. I'm sure they're so busy, but five minutes just to kind of check because I've had a doctor before where he's called me and I've gone. Oh, I'm just at work, but because it was in a meeting, he's gone. I'm only going to be really quick. You're on uh, 79% levels and, and you're doing great. Cheers. And I was kind of like, no one, you know. Yeah, and this is. It's not abnormal, Reese. I don't think. I think if I was, to, I, I don't want to go too much into my experiences down the, the past with particular consultants, the NHS. Um, I think the key thing to obviously point out is it's a very much a self-managed condition, isn't it? And we we dip in and out of the healthcare profession um, only on a irregular basis really you know it could be six months could be 12 months depending on how you're getting on it could be three months and they're just there as like um i guess a a monitoring to allow us to see how we're getting on monitor those you know potential complications if you know in the future god forbid um but also just to sort of just check in and i think you have as good a measure with the technology that you're using of how you're getting on as they do. And I think the way that the technology now predicts your HbA1c, for example, it's pretty close to be honest with how mine predicts my long-term control. Um, I think you're probably in the best position. I always find the best help and support I get currently from people is actually from other people with type one diabetes peers so the healthcare profession will always talk to you out of the book of science and will give you the details of 
this is what could happen this is what's here this is what's happening to you but they don't really understand and how could they they don't live with what we live with recently yeah. not going to see what it's like from the other side and how we live with it so i think i've always well i say always because i didn't always i you know when i started a, a peer support community in 2017 i learned this that actually being around people like me and talking to people with similar interests to me was the main driver in both helping me improve my condition, learning tips and tricks about how to manage it, as well as then feeling more comfortable with it. You know, where you shared there a little bit about fear and, you know, Googling what it was like or particular complications or, or something. Now that would have been a great WhatsApp text to our group our group would have gone, oh, yeah, I've got that or I've got this. It's all good. I've had it for 10 years. And all of a sudden you would have been like, oh, all right. Uh, and yeah, I waited, you, I waited to today to talk to you. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But like the the because it's so instantaneous, because it's all these peers that are in there and they're all, you know, football people with type one, literally from everyone from there's 40 years of living with it through to one, six months, you know, like there's, a complete and utter like varied experience and everybody chips in and when you have a question like that there's normally a pretty big consensus like ah yeah this 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 um it's the same with like eye complications you know when people have gotten their uh, retinopathy screening which yeah. you will probably at yeah, some done, point done one yeah, yeah. so People talk about that, share openly about their experiences of it. You know, there's people out there who've had surgery, laser treatment, um, injections, all that sort of stuff for eye treatment. And it's similar for like um, uh, organs as well. So there's been some that have had um, complications around organs as well. So, but it's the language used by peers, which takes some of the fear away, you know, like they make it feel accepting that these things can happen and take away some of your like sadness. Like you, you feel like you're part of the group and your experience is not alone. And that helps me when say, for example, something negative might happen as a result of my diabetes because I can speak to others who get it. And I think that's why peer support has been for me in the last few years, probably one of the biggest changes in the way that I've managed my condition overall. And healthcare is really vitally important. They provide a load of different services, which we need as people with diabetes and they can support us, you know, with psychology, um, consultants that are experts in diabetes, um, chiropodists, you know, all the things that we might need, but essentially, because it is such an uh, um, an individual experience with diabetes, it's speaking to others, which has really impacted on me. And uh, you know, by the the questions you ask, Reese, I, I definitely think that yeah, having sure. having people around you that you can speak to and lean on is is huge and could be massive. I was just about to say, I'd love to maybe get me in and then for a few days, just like kind of be a bit of a ghost, just see yeah. the conversations, observe some stuff and then, um, yeah, maybe do like a welcome thing or whatnot. Cause I'd, yeah, 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 yeah. I'd love to. Yeah. That, that sounds, it sounds great. Cause it's kind of like, you, it's weird, isn't it? With like you, you having this, I can understand and hopefully this don't sound too wild and people are probably obviously lost people. I have to this, horrible illness but say cancer you can understand why no one wants to go to a screening you can understand why 
you may get symptoms, but you're so scared to like mm. want to go just in case you get that bad news. Yeah. I remember going to the retina exam and having that and like with the cold feet, you don't want to, you don't want to search. You're like, yeah, no, 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 no. You, you know, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? That we're like scared to, to get help for something that going to help us. Yeah. hundred percent. And it, just as an example, one of the guys recently had eye surgery and he posted a couple of pictures in the WhatsApp group and everyone's there going, hope you recover well, you know, let us know how you get on. Um, tell us about how your vision is impacting in a couple of weeks. And, and, you know, he was patched up from eye surgery as a result of obviously complications of living with our condition, but there's no judgment. And I think that's another thing which can impact on the way that we, you know, we seek help is judgment that we haven't managed our condition well, when actually our condition has a, has a mind of its own Reese. You know, I know people that have had complications with diabetes after a very short period of time with the condition. And I know people that have had the condition 70 years and never anything has gone wrong. So your destiny to some extent is not always in your hands. And I think we have to allow for that acceptance and that conversation around potential complications because, and we need to support each other through it because I don't have control of tomorrow and none of us do. And even with diabetes, we want to believe we do. But in some ways, we're just always doing the best we can. Wow, mate, love, uh, love this, <laughs> love it, <laughs> mate. This is uh, this is like it just you know, it's an outpouring, Reese. This is just me me trying to you know uh, talk as openly as I can and you know give you a my insight. But you know, I want to yeah. get, I want to learn obviously more and more about you. So I, we didn't last time get to talk anything yeah. at all about football. So I want us I to think, get onto a chat about football. You can obviously, we'll talk about all sorts as we go yes, through. I was just about to say, I think that's because my job, we had the same job in this regard. <laughs> so I'm in some, you're just, used to flipping it around. Yeah, these I, want, I want to ask. It's yeah, just, yeah. it's, you know, doing, you know, you know, doing a podcast or doing radio. It's when you have someone on the show, it's, all it is in my eyes is just curiosity. Yeah. I'm just curious. So the last thing you care about is yourself. Is, is yourself I'm yeah. so curious about. And it's fun. You and I, I think like, how have you dealt with that? And obviously yeah. but talk about me, don't get me wrong, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's so interesting because like, I'm just so curious about other people that it's like, tell me yeah. about your story. I'm like, Oh, well I've had this and that, but what was it like for you? Yeah, it, yeah. You know? but I think the conversation Reese, as, as we've been running through it will be helpful to people as well you know because what you're asking is essentially questions that somebody who's recently diagnosed would ask or would want to know so from a, a perspective of supporting people like we want to I think you, your questions your curiosity is exactly the sorts of curious questions which will be posed by many many people that are diagnosed with type 1 so as an episode it's just like if you want to understand what it's like being newly diagnosed Reese is asking all the right questions oh. go listen to that episode because I think uh, I think like you said your job obviously leads you down that direction but it's uh, from what we're talking about uh, a lot of this stuff is you know uh, the experience that I'm sharing is is 20 years of it so or 22 years now so but I want us to talk about football with you. So, Reese, yes. obviously, you were 
you're wearing that Fulham shirt for those that can't see. Come so, on, you <laughs> so you were obviously a football man before diabetes came into your life. So talk to me about where the connection to football has come from for you. Where did it start? Yeah, so for me, um, my older brother played football and obviously like it, like my, I say everyone because it's not everyone, which is weird that people, I, you know, in school you'd be like, why do you not want to become a footballer? <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I wanted, wanted to be a footballer. I got to like trials for Kent, which was yeah. standard, but I do always remember, I was very like fearful, um, not a lot of confidence at all. Um, so I remember I played striker for, um, well, I kind of started off in like centre mid, um, at, uh, lower level, like under eights, under nines, under tens, until I got to like year seven. And I remember being scared to play striker for my school. So I just said like, ah, oh, playing defence. Um, and I always look back at it and I think that was one of the biggest decisions that I ever made in my life. And I know that sounds mental, really taken out of context um but i generally think it was because i don't think i would be doing this if i said i was a striker I don't, wow. I, yeah honestly it's it's one of the it's one of them life lessons that i'll tell my future kids and whatnot but i i know i would have really pushed to try and make i'm not saying i could have made it pro I'm not saying that at all um but i doing kent trials as like a defender i shouldn't have done that because i shouldn't have been a defender so to get to that kind of decent level as a defender, I, I thought, I wonder what I would have got to play in the position that I actually yeah. really, truly played, if you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, but I remember as a defender going to that Kent trials and there was a kid next to me who played, played for Millwall who basically looked like Marcelo and was just the touch and the pace. I was just like, wow, um, this is... Yeah, he's good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Sometimes the, you just you just go, yeah, all right, yeah, I get it, I get it. Yeah, but at the same time, there's players that are all in academies that I thought, uh, really? Like, yeah. you know, that classic, like, cut, yeah, yeah, you know, and and, then, and there's one that I thought was going to complete, he's playing, like, at one of the, is like West Ham Academy at the time, we played against him a few times, and I thought, I Google him sometimes, like, where's he at now? And he's kind of, you know, um, like, in Sweden or Norway or something like one of the lower league. Uh, and I thought, God, he was so good back then. Mm. It's mental. And then one of the kids I played, he's smashing it in like league one, who I'm kind of like, I never thought he was that great. And <laughs> like, it's weird, isn't it? How someone, yeah. you know. It's how people develop as well, isn't it? As uh, as people, whether they've got it in their mind as well, how they develop as footballers later, potentially, because sometimes size matters, speed matters, that can change physically as they get older. Like, yeah, it's all it's all mad. Um, how... I don't think I would have liked that as a as a career, you know. Oh. I don't think, and, and yeah, that, I'm not literally doing that as like a classic. Oh, you never made it. Of course, you're not gonna like. But looking at it now, from you know, because we you know interview some of these players, and mm. you know, some you just you're kind of like, wow, so kind of sheltered in way of life and so immature. Um, which you would be, you know, I've gone into, the, uh, I'm sure the futsal change rooms ain't like this, mate, but um, we, we were doing some filming at this uh, YouTube club and you kind of go into the change room and the things they're talking about, you're like, oh my God, I forgot about this. Like they're not PC. At work and everything, we've obviously, it's, it's a work environment. So it's, you go into that, they're talking about, yeah, and then, you know, I, I, was, I was 
with this bird at blah, 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 came around and what did you do? What did you do? Have you got the pictures? Have you got the video? And he's showing them like videos of it. And they're like, wow, I forget that yeah. this is all they care about. How many girls are you getting with? Going to the club and who scored the most in training? And I was like, oh, that's the life of a footballer. And I forgot what that's like. And now I'm kind of like, I don't, obviously the money is, is amazing or whatnot. And the experience of scoring a winner at flipping Wembley would be, yeah. uh, you can't buy that. But for a lot of them that aren't kind of playing for England, aren't in the Prem and aren't starting in Championship or League One or League Two, and but a lot of players, I can feel like, or in general, even if you are, the mental health side of that and the lifestyle, I'm not sure I would have, I'm not sure I would have been able to handle that for one. I'm not sure I would have enjoyed it that much. Like truly, I don't think I would have enjoyed it that much. I saw that player from PSV retire the other day, and I'm like, mm, I think I think this is going to be a trend going forward. You know, mm. I think it was something that's contributed to sometimes my mental health growing up as well, especially with diabetes, because you've just described the environment there. Imagine throwing the fact that you live with type one diabetes into that environment. Now, then you're into a whole different headspace of like what's it doing to that person that is clearly not wanting to show that they're living with a condition in that environment. Cause you can see how right. you can see. And I'm not the only one who's sort of aired that view as well. I think there are other people now involved in football, living with our condition that are going, yeah, this is not, this is not brilliant. Um, and the environment cultivates uh, like a feeling of hiding away from stigma it's that toxic masculinity that an elitist view which really causes people with like hidden conditions a, a real challenge and, and it caused me a big challenge for sure I loved playing I also feel that the the playing side of it for me was um it was it was linked to my self-esteem you know for a long time being good meant being good at football meant I could hide away from the weakness in my life, perceived weakness, the type one diabetes. So, you know, being good at football was what I'd built uh, like a foundation of positivity away from the negativity of, of living with this condition that had always been there as well. So yeah, you can see how changing room environments can really shape people. And it, it definitely has an impact, has had an impact on me, but I've grown in awareness of that as I've kind of developed from my twenties and now definitely in my thirties, it's not a, it's not a thing that I um I sign up for. You know, I, I don't don't sign into that environment. But for in my early twenties, when you're trying to fit in and find yourself, yeah, you you it's really struggle. You, know. you fit in, it's all you know, you fit in with that environment, you fit in with the culture because you you toe the line or you're not in the team. You know, that's kind of sometimes what happens in these football clubs. And and what you described there, Reese, goes all the way. You know, I played in the part-time game, like the semi-pro game, and wow. it goes all the way through. You know, it goes from, if you're seeing that in the pro game when you're interviewing players, it's all the way down. You know, most of the part-time semi-pro teams are very similar um, in the conversations that are had in the changing room, adult changing rooms, or it, how it was when I was playing five, six, seven years ago, more regularly, I've moved more to futsal, late twenties, early thirties, but mm. yeah, the culture is an interesting one. So it's interesting you picked up on that and you wouldn't have liked it. Mate, but, I, you know, I, I, sorry, go on. No, I was going to say, I was just going to link, I was just going to say, you know, but obviously for you, then you've changed it into a different direction. You've gone from wanting to be a footballer, you changed that, all of that view to then creating content and then getting into 
the media side of things. So how did that sort of start for you, you know, away from playing and that motivation mm-hmm. to be a footballer and then into a motivation to, to work in the media? Yeah, so I was just going to say as well, you could that, that you know the whole cricket scandal that came out? Yeah. That was my changing room. Yeah. That was my changing room to a T. Like, I look back and I'm like, wow, most people were racist. Like, and I, I'm not kind of being like, you're racist. You're, you're, cause you said, look, we're teenagers. Mm. I'm not a big believer in taking someone that a 16 year old said in a change room and holding that against them for life. But the stuff that was said was every stereotypical thing about each race. Yeah. You can imagine the jokes. You're in a shower. Oh, he's got a massive, the uh, Indian kid getting called flipping the dude from the Simpsons. Like where, where all this, all the that banter is like every the kid gets ripped because he finds out that the girl he lasted five minutes or what, like that sort of stuff. But that would stick with me. So I'm like, oh, you're not meant to do that when you're with a girl. Oh, you're not meant to kind of thing. Like, oh, have you got a? And I'm like, God, the insecurity yeah, yeah. of the, it that drives all of it, doesn't it? It God. drives all of it, and and then. You know, you talk there about race um, as a part of that. And then it's the same thing with uh, I, with disability or condition. So I pull out and because I need to do an injection in the change room, I have to go off into horrible non-league football ground toilets to do an injection because I don't feel comfortable doing it in front of my teammates because I know if I pull out a needle and start doing injections, I'm getting, yeah, oh, here he is, he's performance enhancing, oh, he's on the steroids. Those sort of jokes are literally, they're ingrained, they're ingrained in my brain. So when you've seen that for such a long period of time in that environment, you learn that it's not acceptable behavior. It is acceptable behavior, but you believe it's not acceptable behavior because the way that football has culturally influenced your thoughts and the way that you are and behave. So I 100% agree with you around this this conversation. And I think, you know, for, for those that are, you know, have a, a different ethnicity that isn't white in this country and is living with diabetes, can you imagine that even, you know, oh. you're add the, adding the two together? to to a changing room um but obviously it differs by team it differs differs by area i've noticed it in different cities and towns that i've played football in because i would have moved around in terms of non-league mm. clubs and where they are in the hey, midlands you, for? You, you didn't play for any in the southeast did you no nah, so my, my non-league teams are all uh, around the birmingham area so um sally hall and so yeah, not nothing as yeah, not nothing quite as big as that. I've played for Bromsgrove Sporting, um, Salvam United, Pershaw Town, Worcester Raiders, Studley. So they're all sort of like um, I played between like Step Four non-league and Step Six non-league most of wow. the time. Um, around obviously day jobs and stuff, so you kind of like you're yeah. just doing it as a bit of a, a laugh on the weekend. Most of the time, I was doing it just to to earn some money to go out with on Saturday night, to be quite honest. That's wow. what most most lads are doing. And that again, that's a cultural thing, Reese. You yeah, know, that's yeah. the you get your you get your little brown envelope at the end of the game and you go, Oh, what have I got in here today? Oh, any bonuses? All right, that'll be enough for tonight, or that'll contribute to tonight. And you just yeah, go in. Like, honestly, being being around some of the pros and um talking to some people that work in that world a lot more than me, some of the stories you do here, like so much goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. Like, and, and now I kind of look at the telly and I'm like, 
Um, like, you know, um, I think, uh, not, not that I know any information on this guy at all, and sorry to the Spurs fans that are listening, but I can see Delhi, and I know something's going on there. I, yeah. I can see it a mile away. Not happy at a club, and just he needs a new... You know, maybe I shouldn't say that. I'm just, I don't know information, but as in staring at like watching a football game, you can tell that something's going on that his mental health or some of these players ain't the best they can be. And I don't blame him. Imagine going on Twitter, typing in your name and seeing Delhi shit, Delhi's crap, Delhi's when he's out, how's he getting, oh, he's going Newcastle, needs to, you can't get, like, God, you've, it's, it's a tough job. Like, it's a tough job. And they get paid a fortune, and yes, they shouldn't moan and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I know a lot of footballers gonna be listening to this, so they'll they'll get it. Um, but it's it's that's a that's a tough job, in my opinion. That ain't easy. Like, no. and, and I've got a friend who's a girl who's, who's um, date uh, date a lot of kind of like just in the area that she's from is near a big kind of club uh, in a small town. And obviously, yeah. when players will go to those kind of areas, it's like yeah. they just seem to you know. Uh, and she was kind of saying a lot of. She's been like a footballer before, and like the mental health side of it is broken. You know, couldn't stop searching his name in Twitter and and seeing the response. And that's one bad game. And kind of, I had a search for his name, and I'm like seeing people say, "Get out of our club." He's so crap. Like, I'm like, oh my god, can you imagine that? Can you imagine every day as a postman and someone go on all the yours, yours, yours? Like, can you? But you still got to go out there and deliver. You still got to go and deliver the post every day. But every day, somebody opens the door to you. Every single door that you go down one street, they literally turn around and go, "You are useless, Mister Postman. Absolutely useless." He doesn't last week. You do a great delivery, and he goes, "We love you, Postman." We do. How would that oh mess? My... How would that mess up your brain? And this is, uh, I, I don't know any of it. Well, I, do, I say, I don't know any of the sport. I mean, all sport will have it to an extent, but I feel like football really, really culturally, oh, it's its own beast and it creates its own problems for the people that are involved in yeah, their yeah. in the way that they they are and the way that they come across as people and their own mental health i know it myself from being involved yes in the way that i am in a part-time basis through football and you're constantly looking out for your mates to have a pop at yeah somebody on social media to have a pop at you you know even playing for non-league clubs Reese. you know you know people are paying to come in and watch you and they'll scream at you on the side of the pitch and you're like well I'm not getting paid that much for you lot to give scream at me and then they'll go on the internet after and say oh he had a rubbish game and you're like well wow and and this is these are non-league clubs so I can only just imagine what it's like for the pros and literally like you say you're top naming it's like wow oh wow look look at the you have one bad game and everybody's on your back yeah, and, and you got to, and I always think about like I'm a big fan of American sports as well. Love NFL and mm. kind of college football and college basketball and stuff. Um, the culture there is so different. Yeah, um, I'm not saying it's better, but I do find it strange sometimes. I think we're going to look back on it like it's a bit weird. But when I see like kind of a kid who's like seven put his fingers up at a guy taking a corner, um, and I know people are going to have go go at me and be like, "That's football." It's I know, I know, I know. But like a, a kind of mum of the kid put a middle finger up and you can read her lips and she's like calling him a mm. banker or whatnot. And and, yeah, yeah. And, the, and the dad, and all three of them are just abusing this player, taking a corner. And I'm kind of like... This is... The, the, like, the, is this, is it, is it, 
you grow the, up on it and you love it. And now I'm, so, I watch it now and I'm like, this is a bit weird. I don't think I, I, I only, I say this all the time, Reese, but I said, tell me another place in society where it's acceptable to go somewhere to a place of somebody's work and scream at them obscenities and tell them they're absolutely useless and uh, their dad's this, their mum's this, and they're this sort of person and you can just scream at them for 90 minutes straight. Tell me another place where that's acceptable. I, I don't know another place where it's acceptable. We've grown up on football being a certain way and you're allowed to say almost anything to a footballer on the pitch. You can scream and they're almost just expected to take it. Mate, I remember hearing stuff on like racism on the side when I was playing. You know, southeast, certain areas, you go to a game in Eltham or Bexley Heath and whatnot. I'm not saying everyone from these areas are racist, but you know, there'd be there'll be certain teams that are playing. I'm like, here we go. Like you you can hear it on the sidelines sometimes, yeah. you know. And but and it depends on like I used to love playing away. Like I loved playing away. I prefer shutting up the crowd than hyping up the crowd yeah, yeah do you know what, I mean? what about you when you play futsal are you like uh, love being at home in wales or you you i th- ooh, i think it's difficult yeah they've got really they've got good merits on both sides because there's nothing like the noise when you're winning at home mm. um but away when you're the only ones making the noise yeah. is <laughs> is is pretty special as well um so I think if I was to look at some of my favourite moments of me playing, I think they've probably been away from home. So I'm gonna, right. I'm gonna go uh, like my favourite moments because it is, it's like going back to old clubs and you know maybe showing um, them why I, why they shouldn't have let me leave or mm. you know going and doing something else. Uh, you know going away with the futsal team. I can think of one of our best, one of the best performances we've had. We we went away to Austria and beat Austria on their. Uh, I think it was Austrian bank holiday. They had it on the TV. They were setting up this big thing. The Austrian team had been undefeated and we went and won 8-1, Reese. 8-1 oh. in futsal. <laughs> and I, it was, ah, oh. and we would, like, it was one of those games where it was just purple, you know, where literally everything you touch came came off. And as a squad, you just, you don't get a feeling like that. And obviously the, the indoor arena and stuff was... Silent. Pretty full, silent though. Yeah. And they, all you can hear is us just going off every time we score and just can't quite believe what's happening. And yeah, one you of those ruined, games where it ruined someone's day. And I love I <laughs> loves that played sport. Just on, to- on bank holiday as well, Reese. On bank holiday. <laughs> just to go off what you were saying, and it's probably similar to your transition to like futsal, is like with the football, I played football. Uh, so I played football. Realized that I wasn't realized I weren't going to make it and fell out. I fell out of love with the sport. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't even watch it from year ten to like first year of uni. Yeah, it did, didn't watch it. Hated the fact that I didn't make anything of myself in the sport. So therefore, which I think happens to I've got a few mates that are like this. Yeah, yeah, that um and completely hated it. A lot of my mates couldn't tell you one player that played for Newcastle. Or, or something. I know that sounds mental. Yeah. But sometimes forget if you're not watching it week yeah. in, week out, or at least match of the day, or at least playing FIFA yeah. or football manager. You quickly you are, lose, quickly lose out. the knowledge, don't you? Uh, yeah, yeah, you're out. Um, uh, well, I, I guess England doing so well changed that. Yeah, a, a lot, like kind of last year. But um, yes. Yeah, so, so I was, I was out. I was completely out of it. I'm trying to think what era I would have missed, but um, I, 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 I was out. So I, I moved to basketball. 
And mm. I was like, and I just fell in love with basketball. And that's where the love of American sports came in. Cause I was just so yeah. kind of like, I'm going to put that same discipline I had, but this time in basketball, I'm going to try and go for it. Same thing happened. Um, would just every, I would do great in training and then just kind of brick it when it came to a game. Uh, and it was just my, I couldn't, I couldn't get out of this fearful mindset. Yeah. Um, I just couldn't do it. And it's, baffling looking back but I couldn't so same thing happens fall out of love with basketball go to university I'm like screw this um first second year of university I'm I'm I, I kind of I'm watching this program on television it's called 106 and Park it's this American but it's like the American MTV um yeah type version and there's this guy on there called Terence J um and he's interviewing all these music artists and he's just got on the latest trainers looks just like a genius. yeah 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 and I'm like God, I wanna, I, I want, I wanna do that. So, I left university at Hertfordshire my first year. Went to East London University in my second to be in London, um, and I went to a radio station called Represent Radio. Yeah, and I pretty much kind of set what I wanted to do um, and did it, um, and what and wanted to smash it. Uh, and this time, I told myself, I am not. I've let it do me twice. I'm not letting fear destroy me this time refuse yes. to I'm yeah just not, i'm not letting this is why i was trying to make yeah. a trap maybe you and futsal was like with yeah. futsal i'm not doing the same mistakes that i've done when i played semi-pro mm. um so i thought yeah I'm, I'm not letting it crush me so i did so many things i went to acting classes and would put my hand up boom first to get out this like to get be creative to be able to uh i knew if i wanted to do this and kind of be on tv and whatnot there's going to be camera people there's going to be audiences yeah. i can't go because that was my version of playing a match and yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So I was like, I've got. So I put myself in all situations. I remember in the past, I'd go to like a train station, and, and who I with, I'd be like, just dare ourselves to like sing a song and walk through the station, just to. It sounds crazy, but just to break the fear of caring what anyone thinks. Yeah. That's years of kind of what we yeah. said about the changing room thing. Don't yeah, yeah. But don't want to get conditioned. Bad, You've been away. conditioned completely to feel that you can't step out of the norm and mm. i i still i still walk through life like that Reese. so um yeah that conditioning of like i wouldn't dream of doing certain things like uh, but that's because i've been like you put in a position but i've probably been there for a longer period of time so it's, it's made me think and feel and behave in a certain way but i know exactly what you're talking about here mm. definitely push it, go going up oh, going to change everything yep. i need to push myself i need to do this because i want to achieve this yeah. and so i can really yeah, i really resonate on that definitely and we do kind of things at work where you'll do like a panel or something and the, the someone on the panel will be more like behind the scenes like the producer of this show and you can see it like before they get on stage or whatever like gee that was me that yeah. was and i'm not completely i haven't smacked like put me on a saturday night tv show I'll hold my own, but obviously before it's not like you don't get nervous. Mm. Still, you know, being a guest on like a TV, you're still like, oh, okay. But you, you. Just... How do you, how do you manage it all then, Reese? The nerves, I think, because I've got my ways of managing, like for example, you know, running out to play um, national team game or whatever. How, how have you learned to deal with it? I know you've there, you've talked about there testing yourself uh, to begin with, you know, singing a song yeah. in a train station and stuff. But it becomes different when you then you know, under pressure doing a radio show mm -hmm. or a TV show. How, how do you do it now? So I always think, I always think there's someone watching or someone listening that 
Well, I always remember this quote that it said, if you can do something and make it look so easy, like the people at home feel like they can just do it, then you're great at your job. You know, right. same yeah. way we look at sports and we all try, when Ronaldinho did the round the world and we're like, well, I can do that. He did it with so much ease that we all thought we could do it. When it's really <laughs> like the hardest thing ever, you know, or <laughs> yeah. the Ronaldo chop or whatnot. Like um, with with this, I, so I always put myself in that mindset because I know I can, that's the thing, I know I can do it. I've, I've trained enough to be able to do it. Um, so that's almost my first thing. And my second thing is like, well, what if the younger me was watching? I wouldn't want me to be like, okay, yeah. uh, nerve. like there's nothing worse than watching, especially watching or hearing someone that doesn't feel totally in control. It just doesn't, you can read through it, I think for audiences. Mm. Um, so you, I always find smiling, having yeah. just carrying that energy. You can't really lose as such. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it, being yourself as much as possible, carrying that energy, realizing that, you know, someone might have aspirations to do something like you in this field. So you have to kind of deliver. And I always remember watching this documentary. Um, uh, it's kind of, you. I think you'll like it. You, that matter of fact, you will like it. It's called Through the Fire. Hmm. I think it's on YouTube. Uh, an NBA player called Sebastian Telfair. That documentary was so inspiring for me. And there's a part where him and his older brother before every game would just have this kind of pump to kind of pump themselves up. They'd be like, the lights are on and we're here. He's like, what's happening? He said, the lights are on and we're here. <laughs> I never forget that scene. It's kind of like a, I guess that's a real practical thing, but I always kind of think to myself like, and it makes me, nowadays it, it used to really get me in a zone. Now it makes me kind of laugh. Yeah. So you kind of drop the pressure anyway. I'm like, the light in my head, I'm like, the lights are on. And then I'm like, oh, wow. I'm, I'm treating this media world like a sports game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so that makes you laugh. And then it, that usually makes me drop like any kind of, it's not that I'm reading lines on a flipping camera. If you really break things down, no one's, because I used to be like, have to do a first take, first take, first take, first take. I prided myself for first takes on anything I did. But now I'm kind of like, I've took time to learn a script practiced it if i do it and it works great if i don't miss like no one's dying you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no i, I got a, a similar thing to you i, I kind of like try and take the emphasis out of it out of the sport i kind of say i'm just kicking a bag of air around <laughs> surrounded in leather that's all i'm doing i'm just kicking a bag of air around that's surrounded by leather and you know and i also try and say to myself from experience as well how long do people actually remember this game for? Because for me, I have to take the pressure off of maybe similar to you as well, Reese. It's kind of a, a nerves thing. And I say, people don't even remember this game in about two days' time. So what are you worried about? You know, it's not going to have a lasting impact on your life. How, how this game goes, it's going to be remembered for two days, generally. And then people move on <laughs> like life does. So it kind of... Like you said, it just takes a little bit of the pressure off because uh, for me, nerves has always been a challenge. So I think that, you know, managing that and context is always the big thing, isn't it? You know, it's not the the be all and end all of my life, how this goes there. I can do something else. You know, it's that kind of like, it's, it's, um, it's, it is correct context, but it's almost like it's wildly the other way of what reality is as well. So it's like just trying to balance because your emotional side's telling you to be ner really nervous. Mm. And I don't need that. I just need to be somewhere in the middle. So I just need to go to the other end, tell myself the like almost the real basics of context to try and set myself somewhere in the middle. I know, like, so that, so, so let's put ourselves in like the, 
because it is like nothing. So even football, it's not, you know, yes, it, it, maybe at a club level, you're playing with so much more financial rewards and mm. even on an international level, let's not get it twisted. There's, there's finances involved, of course. Yeah. But like, say the boy is missing uh, penalties at the World Cup. Do any other thing in the world, kind of like Will Smith and Jada, when I don't know if you saw that when they went through their whole like marriage breakdown, and then the next week he's on Instagram kind of uh, bantering that like Jada makes another message and he does like a little parody where he's like <gasps> scared to go to search on Google her name. A huge tragic moment, her kind of uh, them being broken up, but her sleeping with someone else and that coming out as a press leak massive Hollywood scandal. He can make banter about it next week. Those boys missing a penalty. There's part of me that's like, God, I wonder if like Sancho would do like a, a parody where he's at home and his mum passed him something. And she doesn't trust him to um, do it. Cause he missed a pen. Like, I wonder if that, like, do you, do you not like, yeah, I wonder yeah. if, he just took, if he just took the piss out of it, the obviously it would country would be a meltdown and then he'd get abused left, right and center. But I'm like, God, is there a way? Is there like the world's most laid back football player? Like, I wonder if being so laid back and stuff could, I'm not taking it all so serious, like kind of like a Ricky Gervais mindset, but for football, like yeah. we're not going to, like what, yeah. you know, yeah. like is there a player that's like that? I want, you know, I that was a question and the sentence made no sense, but I think you know what I mean. Yeah, if, no, you know, no. Can can you literally be like horizontal laid back and and get into football and take it there? I think. Did you know they were going to miss? Did you feel like they were going to miss? I know we could just say yes, and everyone's like, "Well, you don't know." But uh, did, you uh, knew they were nervous. Like obviously, anyone. Yeah, nervous, you can. But... You could see, and I, you could see they were nervous. I think the difficulty was they just come on as well, and you thought that I, I thought I that don't know was why, a I don't, mate, I, bizarre decision. You see, Mark Noble coming on when Moyes put him on for that. He penalty. misses. He Mark Noble again. never misses. So this Why? idea that you bring on a penalty taker when you haven't even had a touch of the ball, Reese, or you've barely had a touch of the ball, you're not in the game. So there's a different for me. Like, and I don't know if you ever thought this when you played, but like you go into autopilot, right? When you're playing the game. Yeah. So when you, so when you're <laughs> yes. in autopilot, right? And you've been in the game for the whole game. You're it's still in autopilot when you're taking a penalty at the end. These guys are ju- haven't found autopilot yet. So for me, I, I I would suggest that they were still taking in what's going on around them a bit mm. more than being on the pitch in the game because you haven't quite got into autopilot because you've barely been involved in the game. Yeah. So. I don't know, you know, is that tested? Is that wide, widely known? Is that knowledge? I don't know, but that's just a feeling from my own experiences of being in a game. When I'm in autopilot and I'm, I'm involved in a penalty shootout at the end, I'm still there. I'm not taking in the context of the game, you know, like, oh, it's a World Cup final or a European Cup or, final. Or, or, or if you are, you've had it for 90 minutes. You've already played it for but 90 you know, minutes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You've already dealt with that moment. Oh, yeah, this is a European Championship final. You've already dealt with that. It's already gone in. You've processed it. It's out the other side. You've played 90 minutes. Don't worry about that. Now you've just got to kick the ball once. Whereas the others who haven't played in the game at all, it's like, this is my moment. Pressure. Way more pressure. I think they should have just given it to anybody else that was still on the pitch. 
I think like I think almost a great manager is kind of like literally boys or girls. It, this this is a flip of a coin. This is a flip of a just. You know, I, I, it sounds stupid, but even on Football Manager, I always go with like, relax, whatever happens, happens. There's a team talk before yeah, 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 yeah. FM, but yeah, because I'm like, just relax. There should be, you know, it's obviously you're not going to relax, but God, who knows what's going to happen here? So just shoot and we made it to a penalty. If it happens, it happens. But I've always, it's always like the foreign teams, your Spains and Italy's and Portugal's have got it built in them. That's like, they don't take it. That, I don't know. I've always yeah. thought that they, the the Spanish and Portuguese, it maybe it's their way of life is like that, but it's all just a lot more relaxed. And yeah, I always feel like they're going to win. I, I don't know. Don't you think that? Like, yeah, yeah, I think that comes from culture, isn't it? And I always think the British culture is quite uptight, quite pressured. And I think that runs through everything that we do. Obviously, we get a lot of stuff done and we do well as a country, but we're always very, I think, as generally, I'm not going to say every, you can't say everybody, but like highly strung as a nation. And I think when you go to other countries in other parts of the world, they're not on that level. They're not as highly strung as we are. And then when it comes into pressure moments, they're not feeling as much pressure because they've never been brought up in a way that heaps loads of pressure on them the whole time. So I always think that you like you said there, Reese, there's other nations that are going to do better based on the fact that their culture has allowed them to express themselves without huge amounts of pressure. They'll go home after the game and yeah, they might be disappointed for a day, but they're not going to get absolutely slated by the media for weeks and people aren't going to remember it for years after and continue to the bombard them because yeah, ultimately they miss because of the pressure that the country put on them. You know, that's what happened to the England players. There's going to be a Spanish person tuned in that goes, that's absolutely rubbish. We, yeah, talking uh, we, we nonsense. Players, yes, right. yeah. You're talking <laughs> nonsense, guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> which we probably are. but um, uh, It's just yeah, a no, feeling. I, you know, it's a feeling. We're just chatting. So, it's, yeah, it's just yeah. a gut, isn't it? Gut feeling. But I, I, I've, uh, yeah, I think you're definitely under something there. Like, even like all those other, we just have this thing here where we have to like, quote, make it. And everyone has to make it and and just hustle, 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 hustle so hard. Whereas the other countries, you're right. You, you go on a holiday to another country and it doesn't feel like that. But mm. also, that's what I was trying to say. Um, do you remember being at school and all the football coaches, you weren't allowed to express yourself on a pitch? Coached it out of you, didn't they, Reese? They coached it out of you. Didn't they just? Don't don't you think? Like Chris, I... don't you dare do a step over. What are you Chris, why are you doing a step over there? All right. Okay, I only Reese. I play the game one way. I only I I learnt to be a trickster. I learnt to do tricks. I learnt to do all all that sort of stuff. And for uh, certain coaches, it was always like, oh, he's a bit of a luxury. He does this all, you know. He'll 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 try this, and you know, he wants to beat the player twice, and he wants to do this. And you're like, well, why have you coached it out of me? Well, why are you trying to coach it out of me? That's how I'm going to play the game. But yeah, it's a it's a cultural thing. Did you have your, did you have like support playing when you got up like your parents, like mum and dad? Yeah, no, they were really good. So, um, yeah, they always sort of just keep, just do you. We always have a thing in my family, they call, call it personal performance. So no matter what's going on around you, you just influence what you can influence. So even if the team's not doing well or you're playing against a team better than you, just try and play the best that you can in that environment so we always talk about that so whenever whenever I came off the pitch we talked about the team first but then we would go quickly on to like how did I do in amongst that and it helped me just focus on 
trying to still be me in that environment, <clears throat> even though coaches might go, oh, don't do that there. Why have you done that? And he's like, well, I thought it was the right decision. It looked like the right decision. Right. Yeah. But, and, my, and most of the time, you know, I would end up doing well stats wise across the season right. for any team I was at. So you kind of think, well, don't question it, you know, just support it, just embrace it, try and use it in the right way or maybe encourage it in the right places. But mm. yeah, it's kind of, it just feels cultural sometimes. Yeah. Like I'm really fascinated when I have kids and I think it's like one of the most um, probably like for, for personal reasons, not kind of growing up with a dad or whatnot is obviously mm. makes that a lot more important to me one day doing that. But I'm really fascinated in terms of hopefully, you know, I don't want to force anyone to do anything they don't want to do, but they're into sports. And I really kind of want to be, because, uh, you know, bless her, my mum's wasn't a, she doesn't know anything about football. Like, in terms of, you watch football here and there, but she won't know tactics or if I've mm. played, if I've scored, oh, you must mean you play well. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but I kind of had no one that could put their arm around and, and give me a, and would see this or notice that or so with my future kids i'm really fascinated to see how having the right guidance and stuff could maybe have to change some of that for them or because mm. if i saw a coach trying to take layer around your best take out your best qualities well we're moving clubs i'm not that's just, that's, yeah. they do that you do professional players do that or their agents will go I don't think you should go here because he's not going to work in that system. We've yep. seen players not work in a certain system, go somewhere else and it's be like, brilliant. Yeah. You know, yeah. Really, I wanted to be smart there and think of someone off the top of my head, but I can't. <laughs> that's a bit, maybe that's a bit of, maybe le- send us a tweet if you're. Yeah. 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 Who, do you th- who, can, who can you think of when you hear this bit? Who can you think of? Joe that... Linton is comes to mind Ooh, a little, a little just, bit at the moment. Yeah. Different manager, shift, shift into midfield. Yeah, he's a good one. There's got to be somebody out. I I don't think uh, Pogba under Mourinho, I think kind of got, he's kind of skillful, skillful prowess got taken. You look at him in Juventus and what he was doing, then put him under Mourinho at United. It wasn't. What about? Mo Salah at Chelsea. Mo Salah, great example. Goes out to Roma, different system, different way of playing, different view of culture and how they want players to come through. Does smashes it, goes to Liverpool, even better player, unbelievable. Kevin De Bruyne, another one through Chelsea Kevin that's Bruyne, gone on wow. to another. I, I landed on uh, ex-Fulham player, Lucas Piazon. Yeah. Um, Piazon. Uh, and... You kind of look at his comments on Instagram, and that's a horrible thing. Some comments like, "Oh, Chelsea ruined you. Chelsea ruined your career." But I'm like, that's a player who I've watched him at Fulham sometimes, and he was quite yeah, quality moments, mm. like quality moments. He's playing in Portugal at the moment, kind of like mid to Rio Ave, or you know, one of the yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I'm like, God, what could have happened? Because he's like 20, I'm 27, and weird thinking that's that's you should be in your peak. Football wise at 27. On football manager, I'm always thinking about shifting them off. Like 27, 28. <laughs> Savage. Um, You've been you're shifting yourself on then. I, I know, right? Then, I, it's crazy. But um, I'm looking at him like, oh, I wonder if that was just a case of he never got given the right team. Because in the NBA, that's a huge thing. Mm. You see, American sports, you see it on a whole different level. NFL and stuff, they're in the wrong system, in the wrong team. They go somewhere else. It could be turn into MVP. Yeah. Like just from playing a different system, allowing the point guard to be a scorer instead of a pass first point guard. Like there's so many of that, that you get drafted to the right team and you've got like Steph Curry, like gets 
to the right team at the right mm. time. Russell Wilson for the Seahawks, right team, right time. You get the wrong one at that, you're, you know, and you go to Chelsea Academy and you, you, you don't become one of the guys. For every Declan Rice, there's someone that, you know, it, it was another player in the academy that's now playing, you know, in, in mm. one of the non-league teams. And you kind yeah. of had all the quality. Mm. Just timing, um, who's there to coach, who's there to support. And like you said, systems, how it suits players. This is why lots of people drop through the net is because it just doesn't, the timing wasn't right. You know, I've seen loads of players playing in non-league where you're like, wow, how did you not make it? And you're really? like, oh. so all the time, Reese, you're looking at them going, how, how? Do you ever chat to them? Like, well, you know, a, a lot of got a story that's like yeah. a lot of them that you ask are um, former academy players, so they were in the academies, dropped out, and then it's kind of a, a case of they might have been too small, too lightweight, and then all but, of a sudden that's just that's just BS though. No, because like, uh, then you look at Messi, like so I'm like it's BS. I can't like it, it, yeah. Sorry, go on. Because no, I'm no, no. Like, these are. These are some of the things that were there, and, and not that's uh, BS from the coaches, by the way. Sorry, not not the players. Yeah, I'm not I, the players I, BS, but the coaches. That's a BS excuse. Yeah, sometimes it was mindset as well. So they they weren't they didn't feel that they were in the right place, or they at that time of their life weren't ready for it, and that sort of stuff. And it, it, but on ability, and when you put them on a football pitch, you just go, what? How? How? How have you not? got there and made it but sometimes it's a case of maybe the pressure you know has got to them and that you know you can play a non-league game and you play in front of I don't know two three hundred maybe up to five hundred on a regular basis some big non-league teams are into the thousands so the crowds are much smaller and the pressure's a little bit less and obviously you're not going to be scrutinized over social media in the same way that you get via professional clubs or what you're trying to achieve there so I think there's um there's a big element of that big element where it could have been pressure that has impacted on these players. Uh, yeah. That, well, was pretty much what we were saying earlier. Yeah, that, exactly. That, that goes like they could dominate non-league, get them on yeah. league, oh. league one. And it's suddenly like, can't yeah. just, just can't handle it. God, what a, what a sport is insane. Yeah. And you're just like, you know, kind of, it, it's, this is a good one as well. So we was, um, I'd love to hear your opinion on this. We, I was talking to Genus about this. Yeah. So Genus used to play um, before he we went to Forest. Uh, he was telling me when he's growing up, they always put him, I believe, striker. Yeah. Uh, and then he got kind of put to midfield at Forest, I think. And I said to him, isn't it strange how you don't get a lot of black centre mids? British black centre mids. Mm. Like, and and we were just saying, I was like, it's, it's classic. Big, black, strong, put him centre back. Pacey, put him on the wing. Uh, big, black, strong, put him up front. Yeah. You wreck, like, it, it's, it's got to be it's, a, it's, you uh... never would think to put him in the middle. And it, it's, I was like, ain't that, ain't that strange? Like, yeah. it's like that kind of ints got through. And I'm like, I wonder how, it's, it's it's far rarer, isn't it, to see in the centre midfield, the engine room, the the creativity of the team to have, like you said, a, a black player there. There are. And I compared it to quarterbacks in America. Yeah. 
So I was like, now we're getting a whole new generation of quarterbacks yeah. that are speedy and using them winger traits, but can now throw. Like, yeah, I just found it. I found that really interesting. I wonder how many center, but uh, center mids that were really center mids that got kind of pushed out. Play wing. Play. Yeah, and I wonder how you know. There's lots of connotations around that, isn't there? You know, in terms of the way that we've been um, subconsciously conditioned to think about black players, um, and physically, and like just facts, like physically, yeah. um, can be faster. Yeah, yeah, so so it makes Gen- sense. Yeah, genuinely them, are yeah, yeah, yeah for uh, yeah. many parts can be stronger, yeah. can be quicker, and you know I've I've seen that in the game playing it myself. You know I am not over six foot, and I am not rapid. I am like five ten, and I I had to work on my game in a different way because I wasn't blessed physically. So I had to work on the technical side of things, and maybe that's a Another way that I had to, that people develop is a re, yeah it's a tough it's a tough one but yeah there's there's a whole host of things in that but there is not a not a huge number of if you want to say um, but I think it's developing yeah not a huge number in previous years of black central midfield players but I mm. think it is starting to change in the last few years yeah I'm trying like to said, think of English ones and I'm like. Foreign ones, of course, like African yep. player that African players, ironically, seem to have been more set amid. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Uh, well, you got Kante, yeah. who's unbelievable. Yeah. Pogba's yeah. obviously one of the best yeah. that's been in centre midfield, and which makes you think, well, why have we, why, why have we not quite like got that right here in England? So, like if, if or you thought think of that the way. Of, think of the amount of probably in non-league black centre backs you face. Now training them up to have a touch. Or being able to run with the ball, you've got Yaya Torre there. Yeah, really. Like, yeah, I wonder if it, Yaya Torre would have been put in the back, like if he was yeah. British. You know. Well, what you you say that one of my best friends is uh, six foot five. Uh, he's black, played um, centre half, and that was his position he was put into. Started as a centre forward, really tall, really quick, big, strong guy, leap, and um, yeah, I think he did. He went out to America, got a scholarship, played played out there. Nice. Came back, played non-league, played centre-half non-league. But when he was in America, he played a more holding midfield, um, developed his touch in that, came back, should have probably... And he did play holding midfield from time to time. But if he'd have had that from an earlier age, even earlier mm-hmm. age, around touch and technique, rather than just be, having it focused on, um, if you like, physical attributes... Who knows what he could have done because he was he was a really good player as it was. So um yeah, these are these are deep conversations, Reese, for football, deep conversations yeah, for football. I, well, I like getting to like a that kind of level. Like I'm no, not because no. these are the conversations that I wish I can have with some a lot of my friends, close friends aren't kind of football crazy. Yeah. Um, so I could only kind of go this deep with, with my brother or with um with, with someone like yourself, yeah. With a, with a football nut. I, yeah. I do I do want to ask you about Match of the Day X and the rest yeah. of your media as well. So, obviously, you got, you got up to the point where you were at university where you were talking about um, you just got into that radio show and you just put yourself into the deep end and you said, I'm not letting this pressure get to me again. So, how did your career develop from then? Where, yes. where have you been and what content and stuff have you been involved in after that? So, it, so from then, I... Uh, tried to, I tried to break into one extra. That was always that was always yeah. the plan. Uh, to work at the BBC for radio was was always the plan. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I did an, in, I applied for an internship like five times, finally got it on the fifth time. So boom, I'm an intern, I'm in there. Um, and then I kind of realized being on radio, sending in my radio tapes and being on radio wasn't going to be enough. I kind of, everything I've, everything I've seemed to join sometimes I've been like, you, you've missed the days when it was easier. So um, I've joined there and, and obviously I've, I've tried to kind of, I've had the meetings and stuff and not really kicking off. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to have to do something that gets me some kind of like virality, viral content. Yeah. So I did this YouTube series called Backchat Extra. And it was about this um, reality show that was all about Black London. Mm. Uh, well, Black culture in the UK just happened to yeah. be in London. So I did like a spoof thing of that show on my own YouTube channel picked up traction they put it on their channel was getting like hundreds of thousands of views each episode that obviously caught the attention of one extra because their whole remit is black british culture well black youth black british culture and black youth culture yeah. as a whole and that show was just like the first it was always music 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 and then this was kind of like the start of like black entertainment or young content entertainment in the uk yeah being a part of that just made so much sense for them to get the ball rolling a lot quicker. So that show helped me get an actual radio show. And at that point I could kind of um, finally leave like having to work um, uh, retail. Cause I was just the retail guy, you know, F Foot Locker, JD, yeah. Fossil Watches House. I've done it all, you know? Um, so I could kind of be like, oh, wow. I have this independence here for a bit. Uh, got that. And then everything else started rolling. So the match of day thing came around is because I got, uh, I got asked randomly one time to film something for uh, the BBC's NBA content. Yeah. So I did that. And then they asked me to go and film uh, in Atlanta for the Super Bowl for BBC Sport, do a four part series. I was like, oh my God, it's so random. Like it, one of the things in life, it, I don't know why they chose me. Don't know why. I was just, wow, got yeah. to go there. And it was one of the best experiences of my life, mate. It was so, it was kind of like, you get those experiences and I'm like, this is all because I didn't let it scare me. And I just went for what I wanted and I got yeah. rewarded. And it was kind of one of the first feelings of like, Oh my God, like I've, wow. Everything is on the other side of fear. You know, everything yeah. you want is on the other side of that. Oh, should I send that email? Oh, should I talk to my boss? Oh, should I apply for this? When you do it, you get all the rewards you want in life. And it's that simple, you know, everything worth doing is outside of that comfort zone, isn't it? everything so i kind of do that and then i come back and they're they're trying to launch this show match of the day um x which is well just the younger version of match of the day and a way to um because i think for a lot of traditional tv viewers they might have been like what what, what the hell is this we don't understand it it's a way to a be able to speak to the young players and not get a uh, kind of like 50 year old commentator to do the same old interview <laughs> yeah but yeah you have a you get a tv show out of it you get YouTube clips out of it. And most importantly, you get social media clips out of it. So they can send us to speak to any player at any time to talk about music with them, to talk about um, reality TV shows with them, talk about stuff that isn't football or to meet up with a band who enjoys football. It's the first show that you've got a budget to be able to just make content in this world where it doesn't have to go out at 9 p.m. on a Friday. It just goes boom, goes on Twitter, takes the world of its own. Half the... So, so you get a viral clip with Grealish or um, a viral piece with so-and-so like, uh, and that was a really smart, and it turned out to be one of the most for uh, content wise, one of the most viral shows of reach that 
that BBC had. Wow. Because BBC Sport had because it was so many clips. You got so much out of that show because you'd come together and we'd talk. So you have the actual clips from the show debating what's going to happen in a prem. Then yeah. you've got the clips of all our interviews that are in the show that yeah. go out separately. And then you've got clubs that retweet it, players that retweet it. And it's like, you know, it's a really smart move. Um, yeah. And it was, it was great to kind of be asked to be on it. And that, and it, that was when I just, um, about a year before that is when I got back into football. Um, yeah. I, I, and I just, you just need time out of something if it doesn't work for you for a bit. Uh, and I, and to be fair, I was always playing football manager. So always, it was weird. I play football manager, but you were just not supporting I or not really in the exactly in the... that, exactly that, exactly that. And for a lot of people, they're not they think how does that how the hell does that make sense? And it, it doesn't. But I don't know. I just always was like, I just had a, I was pissed off about the sport for not having done anything in it. Um, but you know, always playing football manager and kept me up to date. And then. Um, I just yeah, one of one of my close mates kind of well getting me into Fulham. I didn't grow up a Fulham fan. Who did I, you grow up supporting? Well, I was a kid that was uh, my brother was Arsenal. My brother's best mate was West Ham. Yeah, so I flew between those the two. Yeah, the reason I, I realized this the other day and caught my mates wind me up about um, uh, not having a, a team growing up and stuff. And I was like, I've, I thought not to go deep again, but I kind of have to. Where does football come from and what team do you support come from? Who does your dad support? So my, you, you won't like this. Oh, piece. crap. He's, you ruined it. No. My, my dad. <laughs> United my, or something. No, no, no. My mum and dad are both Chelsea. So. How does the, that work? So this works because my family. London? Yeah, my family are London. So I was actually born just north of London. And uh, we moved to the Midlands when I was very young. And that, my dad said you're not going to support Chelsea because you'll never see a game. So you're going to support the local team. So I supported Villa. So, um, wow. but my mum and dad are both Chelsea. So we're a North, Northwest London family. So my dad used to go to the Chelsea a lot when like, used to go a lot in the seventies, I think. So when he was about well, his teenage years. Wow. Um, so, so yeah, oh, it, it all, it all, it's all interesting, isn't it? The way that you work and, who you support and stuff. But yeah, Villa were quite a successful team in the 90s when I was just getting into football. So my, yeah. my dad thought, ah, you should just support the local team. So I ended up being a Villa fan. Obviously, that was a really poor decision because uh, we, we've we seen the trajectory of Chelsea versus the trajectory right. of, yes. of Villa. So uh, yeah, I do feel a little bit hard done by some days. But I, yeah, I, you once you pick it and you, you commit to it, you feel like you stick, don't you? You feel like you can't really change. And there's a lot of, Mm, there's a lot of uh, animosity to anyone that goes, oh, now yeah. I'm, uh, I started a Villa fan, but now I've decided I'm going to support so-and-so. Yeah. Well, well, there's a, I, I think it's stupid when someone suddenly supports City. Yeah. Like, that I find pathetic. Like, I'm sorry, but I don't like, I would, I couldn't think of anything worse than supporting United or City or, or even Chelsea or like after they got taken over, like really? Yeah. Like I, I'm, I always like supporting the team that sucks because I love the, the one day we might do it. Yeah. Like that's what makes it fun. Like yeah. being rubbish is fun. Like you see all the Arsenal fans on Twitter just driving themselves mad because they all supported them during the glory days. Like Thierry on and suddenly they're Arsenal fans and whatnot, like a, a lot of people. And then it's like, you, you weren't there in the, 
in in the dirt, you know. Like, yeah. Um, but uh, just going back, I was saying about the the father thing because not going out with my, my dad, there mm. wasn't that. Um, my, and I said my mum's not football. Most people, what I was trying to think, get it from you go to a game with your dad, don't you? Yeah. I remember the first football game I went to was like in year eight, um, and it was Chelsea. Funny enough. And that was because my mate who I played football with, his dad, was a Chelsea fan. For my yeah. birthday, he got me tickets to go see Chelsea. That was the first football stadium I remember went into. And I was like, oh, my oh my God. And at that point, I was like, I want to I I wanna play here. Now, can you imagine going there as like a in primary school or something? You, I was, like, I think I was six or seven when I went. And I first went, game. first yeah. game, it was um, Villa Park. And it was uh, Villa versus Leicester. Wow. You remember, yeah. you remember vague, vague memories of it. Very, very few, but I do remember being. I think the program might be kicking around somewhere in the, right. in the house as well. But yeah, you, wow. yeah, you, they, they have a, a big impact on you because you walk out and you're like, "Whoa, this is." And it's as a even younger kid, yeah, yeah. going up the stairs is just oh, it's magic as a as a young kid because it's just it's like nothing you've ever experienced before. And it still is. Like, still, I, I haven't been for yeah. a, a while. I, I need to try and go because I, I miss it. But yeah, these are, you can't, it's mm. hard to replicate that in any other place or walk of life. That yeah. noise and the way that the fans are is, right. as much as we've given it some grief on yeah, this it's... chat today, Reese, there are some absolute <laughs> magic moments that yeah. football provides that you can't get anywhere else either. No, of course. But yeah, so um, long story short, um, Fulham about six years ago, six yeah. five years ago, um, and 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 yeah, kind of. I, I really, I really love like the team and kind of the club and the community and you kind of getting involved. Uh, they have to do a Fulhamish podcast, which is two guys that I, uh, well, one guy that I used to work with, so kind of worked out really, kind of well. It, mm. At the same time, one of my clo- one of my friends kind of got me into Fulham and took me to a game and. Um, at that point, I was like, "Yeah, let, let's let's commit to something that I that I can pass down," you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah. No, no, that's, it, it's uh, it's funny how football brings you in, makes you love it, makes you hate it, and then you come back round to it in the end, and it all sort of sort of works out. I wanted to ask yeah, you yeah. a little bit. You know, you found your love again for uh, watching. What about the playing situation? Obviously, you you stopped for a long time, and I know you were. Uh, I know obviously we've had a, a barrier or if you like a, a potential barrier in the way with your diagnosis recently. So what what's your views on, on kicking the ball again now these days? I don't. Um, yeah. And um, that's, it's really annoying. Uh, and I haven't, I haven't played football since I've got diagnosed. That's just over a year ago. Um and I'm just, I get a bit anxious about the sensor in my arm, someone pulling that off when I'm playing and, yeah. you know, the headache of like, then that's like my last one and I have, then I'm out of it for thing, you know. Um, so a bit anxious about that. A bit anxious about the levels during it and the headache that's going to bring, mainly because, and I'm sure you're going to invite me to a game when you're in London next time, which I will say yes to. Yes, Reese. yes. Um, but, um, uh playing with people that wouldn't understand that I'm finding it really frustrating sometimes being in places that don't understand the condition and kind of having to just go along with it and just the same old assumptions. And I know it's not, I'm not, I'm not one to be like, you don't understand. You should do your knowledge on it. It's all your fault. It's no one's fault. 
I didn't understand. I would have been them. Um, mm. But it, it's kind of like having feeling a bit dizzy or something and being like, you know what? No one here understands it. So I'm just going to power through um, because it's easier for me to do that than try and stop everyone. Hey guys, need to get some sugar. Is that okay? Like it's, and then suddenly someone going, oh, you're right. Are you, you're going to, and it's yeah. easier not. Being you know, there. Oh, well, I think we've all been there. And and like you said, it, you, those are the moments you feel isolated. Like you feel like nobody really gets you. Nobody really understands you. And you're high. You're like, you get into that mode of hiding it. Um, because you feel that you you kind of need to um, to just get on in the situation, don't you? You feel like you have to just to try and take part in the, the football or the game mm. um, in the way that everybody else expects you to as well. You're almost living up to other people's expectations of how you should be taking part in that five-a-side game or that 11-a-side game. You're, you're trying to fit in with the the way that it should be done. And our way is a very different way. And I, I think judging on what you said there is you'd, you'd really enjoy the different way that we do it at TDFC because, you know, and, and the guys will back me up in the way that I've kind of constructed the environment. But we sort of stop the session every 15, 20 minutes. Everyone goes off, they test them, their glucose levels. Then everybody shouts them out. I make sure everybody tells me, shouts them out and goes, anybody worried about next 10, 15 minutes? You know, wow. and just change the way that diabetes is, is comes across within football. And um, yeah, there's been a few people that have come down and videoed the sessions and stuff like that to, to sort of showcase its difference because it's only subtle. But yeah, we co we almost like have every 20 minutes we have a break. Everyone goes off. If anyone's having a hypo or needs to treat it, there's always glucose stuff around. There's no pressure to come back in. Um, to the session if you're not feeling right you just shout up when you're ready to come back in and then you go and play again and we you know we just let it happen that way and it's it's a comfortable environment for somebody that's you know so feeling where do you, you play in Birmingham mainly. so I've had a lot of good links with the University of Worcester so a lot of the stuff we've been doing is in Worcester um, and then we've got the guys that are playing at the moment in a regular league. You know, we mentioned on part one where yes. they've just won the league. Now that's in London. So they've been playing in um, North London, Tottenham area, King's okay. Cross sort of area. They've been playing yeah. games on a regular basis. Um, but essentially the the UK, so we have a UK wide team. So you've heard me mention the WhatsApp group a couple of times. There's about 90 guys in that from across the UK and Ireland uh, living with type one that are into their football. Then we've got another chat, which is just for the players and that are interested in the UK wide team. So we've got a team, Reese, that's been out to two European tournaments. Now, this would be something that I'd love you to do with your hat on within the media, but there's a tournament called Dia Euro. So this is the European Futsal Championships for people with diabetes. It's been running since 2012. And basically, there's a team that goes from each country that are all living with type one. They go and play against each other in a European tournament. We went out to Slovakia in 2018 to play. We went out to Ukraine in 2019 to play. Obviously the pandemic's put pay to it in 2020 and 2021. You're doing it this year. Um, there's, there's talks that we could be back on this year in, in, and in a country, which is again, let me try and guess. Go on. Give, give, give you, me, give me a clue. Give uh, me a player. Give me a niche football player. Oh, I th is he from there? I'm going to try it. Pjanic. 
Bosnia. Yeah, he's got it. Nice. Bosnia. So, nice. yeah, it's supposed oh, to be. He's about the only one, isn't he? Uh, well, like, I was thinking, watching them in the Euros and seeing. Was it Jeko? Jeko might have played for him as well. I thought Jeko yes. would have been too obvious, so I went for Pjanic. I thought, yeah, oh yeah, that's nice. testing Reese's knowledge. But yeah, um, it's due to be in Bosnia. So, and this tournament is unbelievable, mate. That is a life changer. We've had guys, and we, we talk about it on the podcast as well, Reese. Some of the previous episodes, and it's a game changer. People come out there; they spend seven days with people that are living with their condition in our team, you know, in the UK team, we're all got type one. So that's a game changer. You share in a room with somebody that lives with your condition oh my for seven God, days. Mate, and then every player that you play against is got type one. You learn about the other countries and how they all manage type one in their countries, because you're playing against Portugal, you're playing against Bosnia, you're playing against Slovakia, Ireland. Uh, who else is there? Uh, trying to think. Uh, Mate, I, Slovenia, I, yeah, all sorts of countries. They're all, I, Hungary, yeah, it's great. Romania, like there's all different countries. Most of it's Eastern Europe, so we, it sort of started out what, that way. What dates that? So we, it's uh, they tend to do it the final week of July. We can do a shoot for that and get that on. Oh, match day X wouldn't be in season then, um, but for the, the series usually starts in August. August, September. So yeah. we could 100%, I'm sure they would be up for that, get like a, do a VT with you guys and go yes. over there and do like a, a day or one of the games. Or, or yeah, it'd be class. I think we could just, just for us, that. like even for us, it's like raising awareness of a tournament that is about diabetes and people demonstrating that type one doesn't need to hold them back in a, like a football and futsal environment. And the standard Reese. Oh my God, really? we got absolutely panned by Bosnia. Serious? <laughs> oh, panned. 11 3, Reese. 11 3. Oh, wow. So. Did you uh, try to snatch one of their senses out their eyes. That wouldn't stop them, Reese. They were absolute oh, machines, really? mate. They were machines. Now, there's a couple of. There's some guys out there that are playing like nearly professionally or pros in futsal. Oh, so really? There was a couple of. There's two or three in the Portuguese team that play in the second division of futsal in Portugal. And bearing in mind, the top tier is mostly professional teams and Portugal are the European and world champions of futsal. So Portugal, like, yeah, it's standards, just, yeah, some skills on show, mate. But even, you know, for yourself, just to get involved in the local team, the London team, there's players there that have been out to play in the UK team and, and they're regularly meeting up now. And it's just the, the environment and the culture and the ethos around how we try and help each other with our condition. And then football's there as our like our point of interest, if you like, and our, yeah. our commonality, which brings us together. It's just like nothing else I've ever seen before, Reese. You know, it was an idea I plucked out of my head a few years ago and uh, it's grown so quickly. And, and people have all over the world, I, you know, I get emails from New Zealand, America and, uh, Sweden, just all over the place. Anyone hey, that can speak um, English is just, they find it and it's its just a, you feel at home. I think that's the thing. I, I feel at home and the guys and the and now the, the girls that are involved, you know, we're starting a women's project oh, and stuff wow. like that. So hopefully involving kids soon as well. So it's, yeah, you, you feel at home. I think that's Mate, the best good, way of putting it. Good for you. You've absolutely crushed it. I mean, what an incredible kind of community that you've managed to build from this because I cut like you saying living with um 
going over there and playing with players that have got it. I can't, like, I'm just thinking, God, imagine if my girlfriend had type one. Like, imagine we're living with someone who's got to, um, you, you would all, you'd both be on the same kind of, you would just get each other, like, yeah, none other. Yeah. Like, wow. Oh, and, and, you know, even like for like the banter, middle of the night, Reese, you wake your mate up with the alarm and he goes, ah, oh, what's going on now then, Brighty? And you go, yeah, I'm low again, mate. Ah, oh, what level right. we got then? Do you know what I mean? And just there's no judgment. There's just like, because it could be his alarm the night after, and then it'll so be the you, uh, the alarm. Are you? Yeah. Is that from? That's not from the, the freestyle Libra, is it? I've got a Dexcom that I use, so it's um because a slightly the, different one. The Libra. I've tried setting an alarm, and I, maybe I've messed up, but I feel like the Libra doesn't sense it until you put it towards it. So okay. Thinking, because it's not like a constant reading. So have you got a Libra 1 or a Libra 2? Libra 1, I think. Libra 2. You need to get yourself upgraded on Libra 2. I should be able to do that through like the GP, right? Yeah, GP should help you on that. I'll put yeah. in my notes. Can I get, I'll put, when I next do an order, I'll say, can I get a Libra 2? Yeah, they should upgrade you because everyone now who's got Libra 1 can upgrade to Libra 2. And Libra 2's got like, uh, I think it links consistently. I'm not sure if you have to swipe still. So you might not even have to swipe anymore on your arm really? to get a read in. Well, I don't. You know, my Dexcom is just connected the whole time. I'm not doing any swiping. So, You're um, and then that are just what? alarms. What? You look at the Dex, you go on the phone and it's yeah. just got your levels I, on there. I ain't swiping now. Look, I just, uh, there you go. Is that it's even as a widget on my phone? Like I just swipe to the left and it's there, and it's just telling me what's going on. Yeah, the, de- the Dexcom. You got the Dexcom on the NHS, or you? I'm um, sponsored by Dexcom, so I'm oh, uh, like a brand ambassador for Dexcom. Do you? Um, prefer- um, okay, I probably can't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a question that I, uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I can't give you a, a a true reflection, if you like, of where you were going with that, no. but. Uh, offline, I've I can give Dex- you a, I can give you a reflection offline. I used Dexcom once, yeah, um, and I thought they were, they were brilliant. And I'm mm. not just saying that because you're sponsored by it, but they, they were, they it was pretty good. Um, you have it, and did you have it? You have yours in your stomach. Dexcom Back of the arm. arm. So they changed That's it, good. so it used to be only be allowed to be on the stomach, but now you can wear it on the arm as well interesting so i wear i've yeah i'm not gonna say that i was gonna say something but yeah i wear it on my arm yeah. so uh yeah it's uh it's um i i, I yeah i can't really give you a true no, reflection no, no, of dexcom no, no, no. not not no. when we're recording but uh it's uh yeah it's a pretty they're both good in their own ways and i think the development in them at the moment's just frightening they just keep pushing and pushing the libra threes coming out soon as well as the dex yeah yeah and not long off landing in the uk and the dexcom g7 so that's the brand new dexcom is just about to come out as well so 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 i was seeing um abbott the people that make the freestyle libra they um they're pretty much going into more like personalized healthcare with the chips it seems like even with elon musk and Neuralink, like we're all basically go into personalized medicine and type one just happens to fall under that i think so because mm. everyone i think is gonna like athletes want to know what their glucose is and what all the statistics you can get by just putting a little chip in you yeah to monitor your blood suits us perfectly so it's almost like yeah go ahead and learn more about this mm. stuff because wow i did checking it without scanning that's gonna be a weird i'm gonna be telling 
people like, oh, I was in the days where you had to scan your arm. And, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. You'll like, be saying that. And then I'm the I'm of the generation, Reese, where I was only doing two injections a day on mixture insulin on finger prick testing, mate. That was where I started. Two, two injections. Yeah. Oh, mate, brutal. Just guessing. You stick in some insulin. You had to be really regimented as well. So you'd have to have the injections within like a half an hour window every single day. You'd have to eat the meals almost at the same time every day to try and stop hypos and stuff yeah it was a different way of life mate that was when i was eight years old so yeah eight till about 13 or 14 that was my life so i'll be talking about that and you'll be talking about ah oh, that inconvenience where i had to swipe my arm to get the levels <laughs> <laughs> there's me going yeah yeah reese that really inconvenience <laughs> you had a cgm yeah so that's what uh, the dexcom is cgm the one you have now yeah so dexcom cgm whereas libra's flash so they're slightly different so that might be something else for your research so it, don't look up is, is yours pumping insulin into you no so cgm continuous glucose monitor so that ah, is right okay um and then obviously i don't have a pump so i'm well, like you I'm how, how comes you don't want to pump i'm assuming for sports right yeah so um also a little bit of and I've talked about it before around uh, mindset of having something attached to me consistently. I always thought it was like a signpost to having a difference, a point of difference, living with a condition. So when I was growing up, I struggled with that concept of, oh, look, I'm wearing a pump. It may, means I'm ill. So and when you're in a sporting environment, I, I just was like, no, can't do it. So I've always had injections for that reason. However, I will be coming round to the idea of a pump in the next few years because I cannot ignore the fact that closed loop is going to change everybody's life. Go on, so, explain that. So closed loop is, we mentioned it on the preview on part one, but it's where the pump talks to the monitor, so the cl continuous glucose monitor, and it basically continuously adjusts based on your glucose levels. The pump puts in insulin based on what happens with your glucose levels without you doing anything. So it talks so to each other. Essentially, you don't, you, you're fine. Yeah, it's an right, external, yeah. it's basically an external device led pancreas. Yeah. And that always keeps you in the right levels or close so you, enough. You, you can eat like, oh, you get me excited here, man. <laughs> don't say, Reese, go, go to research, get excited. Trust me, you go can and eat research. A pizza ah. and then it will automatically get your levels. And that's out now. But, not, but it's but, been trialed. A hundred, I think about, how many thousand? There's a few thousand people that are trialing up and down the NHS in and England a, at the moment. A, NHS are going to do this. Oh, to it. All oh, right. Okay. I hope so. I hope well, so. It, well, it would. I was talking to my mum about this the other day. And you know, how I much you, yeah. you know, I mentioned about the uh, CRISPR kind of technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it, it basically would have to, they would have to prove that that is cheaper than having people that are getting work done from complications of diabetes yeah. if and they I'm, can prove that's cheaper i'm pretty sure they could probably prove that mate because there then, is a then then yeah. there is then that makes perfect sense and how yeah. big is this pump because i because i saw the one on internet it's like a thick thing i wouldn't want to i'm like yeah, so, i don't know if i would want to wear that and i was really against the pump when i first got she was like there's a pump and i was like i don't want to i don't want to go on holiday and i've got something on yeah, my yeah. like so i there's going to be different options. Um, I know the, the one that I am considering, the one that sticks in my mind is one that I am 
likely to sway towards is one that has oh, no fair. tubes. So it has no tubes. It's called a patch pump. Um, and it's called an Omnipod. So Omnipod. it's like, uh, you know, you're, say you're wearing your lever on your arm. Yeah. It's like that, but bigger. So it is a bit bigger, nice. but it's just a patch on your arm. Um, so if you look it up, there's quite a few people using them. I've seen them. people with this. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it's uh, it's widely used at the moment. Um, but that, I think... Because you get think, to design your whole, like, patch. I've seen people... Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, and I think... I probably can't see that. Yeah. Yes, that's it. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, so my the Dexcom sensor is the one in the middle on that. Yeah, yeah. And then the Omnipod is obviously the one on the left. So... I think what's going to happen in the future, because I've been hearing about it, is the integration is going to be between Omnipod and Dexcom, or there is going to be a link between the two companies, which means that they're going to be able to talk to each other when we're talking about closed loop. But Freestyle Libra. And Libra will have its own connectivity to other providers of pumps, potentially. I don't know. It might even connect to the Omnipod, but I know, well, I'm quite sure. I can't say I know because I'm not 100% in the loop, but I think. I'm pretty sure that Dexcom will be able to link to the Omnipod. So they'll be like talking to each other. And are we be... saying a hundred percent levels? I'm, I'm saying it's a hundred percent better than I am at getting to these, <laughs> these blue, right. blue glucose levels. Mate, um, that would be, um, God, that would be insane. Wouldn't it? Yeah. It's, it's here. Reece. This is here. You were talking about like the internal, this external mm. thing is here. People are using it already. And the online community, I know people that have got their own, let's call it DIY closed loop because there's people out there that have already super clever people out there that have already created algorithms that they can create that makes the pump talk to a CGM and apps that are out there, which are running it. There's like, um, uh, like, yeah, like mobile phone apps and things that, that can do all the algorithms and make them all connect together and, and make them talk to each other already. DIY do it yourself job. So Reese, you could probably do that yourself. I've stayed away from that at the moment just because of yeah, the... Yeah, I think... Well, but it's, it is available. Yeah, mate, I'll do some... Um, I'll do some... Re- mate, so when do you think that could be a thing that's widely rolled out? Because if it's working now, then basically the NHS have got to decide what they... It was, it's, it's on a trial at the moment. NHS are trialing oh, it. So right. it's literally in testing, if you want to call it that, for its impact, I think, over the next year i would have thought so i don't so know i mean it's two year could be close for wide hey. wide availability for people with type one cocky imagine a kid that how life check well it's gonna be life chafing for us but a kid that's gonna be oh you know, that's i always feel because saying like, i i said to my mum yesterday i do feel like me getting it <clears throat> last year I'm very lucky. I am, and I, and I know we said that last thing, but I am lucky. You and a lot of other people, and people, look, 50 years ago, who had that one giant needle, I'm sure, that, like, like God, the technology is insane. And mm. the growth of it is, ins- it is, is crazy. Like, it, it's, you know, it, yeah, it's mental. It is. It is absolutely mental, mate. And, uh, I'm I'm excited to see where we go for the future for sure. Um, I, I 
realise we've been chatting for a very long time now, Reese. We've we've done a real good stint on this podcast, and jeez, uh, what is this? It's been two hours, nearly nearly, nearly two hours. We've been we recording. Did Joe this. Rogan. We were <laughs> Joe Rogan. We've gone so far in on so many different areas, and I mean, anybody who's going to be listening to this to this episode, they are going to need a few walks or a few <laughs> runs to get through it. But I'm sure there's going to be a lot in it. I just wanted to ask you one final question because I you know you're gonna go and get on with your day now Reese but um the one final question that I wanted to pose you was what would be your advice to somebody you're just being through diagnosis um maybe young old whoever they are what would be your sort of words of wisdom and words of advice for somebody who's just being diagnosed with type one and and thoughts about the future or even follow and, and then another side question who would want to follow in your footsteps in me in the media yeah, I think advice with having it, I think you've like you've given me advice today. Uh, so I would say listen to people that are way more experienced. Like, I guess I'm only a year in it and I've kind of found it now. But I would say, like, check out the podcast like this one, hear other people's stories, which I didn't do when I first got diagnosed. Like, I'd read you know, your messages and kind of go on YouTube and have a little look and uh, nothing against the doctors or whatnot. But I kind of heard their advice and basically was under the impression if I stay in the levels, I'm okay. So I, but I didn't really study the best way to do that, mm. which I'm kind of finding myself doing now. Yeah. Um, so that would be one. And then I'd say working in the media, um, let the people closest to you know about the condition, your producer or whatnot on a shoot. So you've got like a bit of backup just in case things go wrong, mm. but um, it does it won't stop you from, working in this field at all if anything it gives you i always find it gives you some depth people that have uh, an illness or have been through something or have been have not been sheltered their whole life seem to have depth to them as people and i seem to connect very closely to people that have depth you know so many people that it's not their fault they've just you know got the greatest genetics best looking people nothing wrong with them every job they go for they get an amazing live a great life but i i need to be with people that have got depth and this illness gives you that automatically you see life from a whole different perspective when most people say you know what i'm not going to do that this weekend i'm going to do it in the summer we say well we're doing it this weekend and i think that's a huge advantage to have on a lot of people yeah grabbing it by the horns mate grabbing life by the horns definitely now well, i just want to say a massive thank you reese for uh, giving up your time to chat with me on the the diabetes dugout hopefully it's been a really great listen for for those that have, have tuned in and uh, yeah really really appreciate your time reese thank you so much and hopefully yes. we'll get you back on the show later down the line we'll do yes. another joe rogan-esque yeah. performance <laughs> and hopefully we'll have you down kicking around with the boys as well either tdfc yeah, london yeah. or the uk team in the future Let's do it. Chris, you are an absolute legend, mate. Honestly, this has been one of the best conversations that it's the best podcast I've ever done. That's <laughs> I'm um, gonna take that. That's that's quoting. I'm putting that on social media, Reese. Yeah. That is that is my go-to line now. <laughs> it, it is. I don't think I've um had a chat like this with anyone on a kind of podcast level. It, it wasn't like a performance, you know, it was yeah. literally just us going in with it and and talking the real. Um so yeah, I've loved it. I've got so much, I've taken so much from this, mate. Like seriously, that's amazing. And I, and I can't wait. And yeah, add me in that 
in or yeah let's chat about that group and, and see yeah. if you feel like it's the best fit and whatnot but yeah yeah i feel so much more after talking to you i feel a lot more um in control and balance now yeah uh because there was a few worries that kind of before talking to you things have made sense after talking to you so i'm very thankful for for that no. so thank you bro i appreciate that this has been yeah you're really, welcome really mate great. you're welcome appreciate it Well, that's it for this episode. And we just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who has tuned in. And don't forget to subscribe and follow the podcast on whichever platform you're listening to us on. And whilst you're there, if you could rate and review us, that will help us and the show to reach more people. Whilst if you'd like to get in contact with us about any ideas or thoughts for the show, send us an email about the Diabetes Dugout to the Diabetes Football Community at gmail.com or head to the website www.thediabetesfootballcommunity.com for more information about our project. Thanks for joining us and tune in next time for more stories, inspiration and information about diabetes in football.